I would imagine on some level, your life is different as a result of the pandemic. Um, we've had our, everything's been turned upside down, right? Like how, how much time you have, where you spend your time, who you're with, who you're not with, uh, things that you can't do anymore, new things that you're, that you're trying. Um, uh, if, you, if you were humble enough to bow your knee uh, and your head to God in the midst of what has been a traumatic, even tragic time for many people, God's been up to some stuff. He's, he, it, it, it doesn't slow God down. In some ways, you know, crisis and difficulty provides the very space that God needs to get our attention uh, and speak to us. And we've been trying to listen as a church and we have incorporated change, in many cases overdue change, um, and we anticipate more change in the future. Um, maybe, the, maybe the biggest one is how, as a church, we continue to reach those that are far from God. And there's a declining percentage of people that when they start their spiritual journey that they're going to show up somewhere on a Sunday morning at a particular time. So if we're going to reach people that God is, is getting hold of, it's, it's probably going to be um, spaces in addition to Sunday morning to intersect with people. Because what's going to happen if someone is stirred by God? They're, he's going to put into them uh, passions and uh, new desires and energies for things, things that God gets excited about, like uh, helping people that are hungry or poor, um, uh, that, that need uh, support with their young families, or uh, strife of some sort. And people that are moved by God are going to get involved in those things. They're going to they're be action-oriented. So as a church, we're just learning, how do we meet people there? Uh, we'll meet some here, but how do we meet them where they mostly are? And so we've done a lot of learning on, on that sort of thing. Um, continue to value the times that we have together when we can get them on Sunday morning uh, to uh, be refilled, to be encouraged, to be inspired, to connect, uh, and to be launched out into the world to do what he's sending us to do. Um, in that vein, like Justin said, we're, doing, we're adding in-person services uh, in May, and then so one next week, and then two live streams that are not in-person and then back to in-person gathering May 30th, uh, and then on a weekly basis uh, there forward um, as, as best we can with a couple, couple breaks mid-summer. So keep your eyes peeled for that stuff. If you've got kids, the, the rollout for kids is different than it is for us. We're going to go back weekly. Uh, we'll add services in, in weekly nature on May 30th, but uh, kids will um, roll into that space uh, at a different pace. So keep, keep your eyes peeled for that. For those of you who have kids and what ages we're going to have on those particular weeks. If you're following along with what our groups are doing, our study groups, our discussion groups, uh, you're reading a book called Bless. If you're not in a group, you can follow along on your own and, and maybe have a conversation with somebody else that's reading the book. But you can find those materials on the website. So feel free to do that. Um, Love to have you be a part of that conversation. And we're leaning into chapter four this week, which um, is the L in the acronym BLESS. BLESS is a, 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 an acronym that lays out a process, a, a model, a, a techniques, if you will, for loving your neighbor. 
And, and we've been engaging this for a number of years, uh, six, seven years. But a, a, a book was written recently by some friends of ours, the Fergusons, uh, John and uh, Dave up outside of Chicago. They've got a national influence. And this is a tool that is, if you haven't discovered it, uh, I encourage you to dig into it. The very first step, begin with prayer, could change your life. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been with people who are at step one, and we add this 10 to the end of it. Bless 10. All that means is we want everybody praying for 10 people that we know or are at least fairly certain they don't know Jesus. They, they don't go to, uh, they're not involved in a church. They're far from God. And to just write down 10 names can be life-changing. I've been in conversations where people would say, I don't really know anybody that's not a Christian, that's far from God. And then you start thinking about it and you realize, oh yeah, I do. I, I've had conversations with people who said, well, I'm glad to do this, but I'm not going to put anybody in there um, from where I work because I don't, I don't mix uh, religion and, and business. And through conversation, you start to realize, yeah, but you don't really have to mix them. You can still pray for the person in the cubicle next to you. There's a you take that first step and suddenly the mission field that is yours, that God has specifically given you, suddenly comes to life. Without going through that process of putting 10 names down and beginning to pray for them, sometimes we miss what is right in front of us. And then when God starts to move in that person's life where you've been praying for them, suddenly you're like, oh, I've been praying for that. And so now that move of God in their life means something to you. And you're compelled to engage and to ask the questions. It is, it is life-changing. So we're moving into chapter five. Listen, um, we're going to, foreshadowing here, we're going to actually skip chapter six, which is eating, just because we should. We don't need to eat as, anymore. We've already done enough of that. Just kidding. There's a lot to really learn about that. Some really cool things that happen around the table. Um, but we're going to leave that to you. So this week, uh, lean into the listen space, start and read into the, to chapter 6 too, and, and read about what it means to eat and engage someone on their, on their, in their territory. But listening, and I'm going to talk to you this morning about listening and learning and loving. In fact, listening, which leads to learning, which leads to loving. And I want to start by uh, telling you a story when I was in a... Um, in a courtroom. I was about 30, and uh, I was a defendant. <laughs> it's been 20-something years since I've done, any, done anything wrong, is why I have to go back that far <clears throat> to get a story. <laughs> so I'm in the courtroom. What happened was, um, I was, it was a moving violation of my car. Uh, you know, sometimes when you have, there's an exit, and it's, it's a long exit, like a long lane. And eventually there's a solid white line. And, and I decided late to get off this exit. So I merged, I went across the solid white line. And the only reason the, the, the policeman could see that I had done that was there was no other traffic around anywhere. <laughs> had there been any traffic at all, there's no way he could have seen me do that because there was no one there. <clears throat> you could see where I was upset. And what made it worse was, as I was reading the ticket, flip it over and see what the fines are. The fine for crossing a solid white line was the same as the fine for possession of marijuana. 
And I was like, this will not stand. I'm going to court. I'm going to show up. And I built my argument. And I was like, I, even if I had to pay the fine, I need someone to acknowledge this is, like, this is nuts. So I show up. I got there early because I heard uh, that this guy's courtroom is always full, like 30 or 40 people are. And I was like number 10. And it was actually an enjoyable morning, like afternoon. It was great. I enjoyed it. The, this guy was amazing. He was like Judge Wapner. Uh, he, was, he was very kind. He was using the judicial system uh, not just to administer punishment and fines. He was helping to uh, rehabilitate people, really, right there. It was fascinating to watch. A young lady stepped up. She was a single mom, and she was working it. <laughs> she had a baby in her arm. She had a three-year-old on this arm, this leg, and a five-year-old on this leg. And she was like, oh, please, help me, <laughs> sir, you know? And what had happened was she had uh, gone through a stoplight, a stop sign without fully stopping. And come to find out what had happened was there was a dump truck pretty much at the stop sign servicing a resident. And she went around that truck and right on through the intersection. She probably couldn't even necessarily see the stop sign, so she didn't stop out here. So she went through. It was compounded by the fact that her car was not registered, had expired registration, and she had no insurance. So the judge said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to have you paying these fines. I want you to use this money instead. Get your car registered. Get some insurance within the next 30 days, and I'll let this license, I'll let this go. No fines, no points. Just get yourself in. I thought, that's wonderful use of the law. It's great. <clears throat> Number seven stepped up there. It was like a young 20-year-old punk, honestly. He had no respect for the court. He had no respect for the guy. He was leaning on the podium. He was saying things like, yeah, whatever. And the judge, literally, he did this. He looked at the guy. He looked out over his glasses to everybody else in the courtroom and as if to say, can you believe this guy? <clears throat> And he threw the book at him. I mean, the, the, the maximum fine that he could deliver to that guy, he did. And he was like, Pfft. and he starts walking off, and the bailiff was like, dude, he didn't dismiss you yet. And while he's saying that, he's saying, I didn't dismiss you yet. So he comes back up to the podium. He's like, whatever. And the judge did like paperwork for like five minutes. He didn't do that for anybody else. He, he just, the guy was just standing there, and he's just working on stuff. And he somehow added another $25 or $50 to the fine and then kicked him out. And I thought, that guy wasn't paying attention. That guy wasn't listening. If he had just listened to the, the six people that came before him, he would have realized and learned what could have happened for him. And then I stepped up there. I was excited. Because this guy was talking to people. And I was like, I'm gonna make, he's going to get it. He's going to totally get it. So I step up there, and he reads the case. And before I say anything, he says, do you want to take defensive driving? Now, defensive driving, I don't know if they have it in all the states, but in Texas, if you get a ticket, you can opt for uh, a, an eight-hour horrific day on a Saturday learning about driving and avoid the fines and the points. You could take defensive driving. But you could only do it once a year. Once a year. So he said, do you want to take defensive driving? And I said, uh, sir, uh, I've already done that this year. <laughs> and he said, son, I don't think you're listening to me. I asked you a question. Do you want to take defensive driving? I said, yes, sir. And he said, okay, case dismissed. There you go. 
I wasn't listening. I wasn't listening. He asked me a question. And I thought he didn't know what he was talking about. So I was trying to give him information. Right? This is what we do. We don't listen. If that first guy would have listened, had I would listened, things would have gone differently. This week, as I was preparing this talk, I decided to take note of how many times I didn't listen. It's embarrassing. You know, we spend somewhere between 50-60% of our time listening. But the question is, are, are we really listening? We should be listening. But I, don't, I don't know that we always are. We have all sorts of things disrupt our listening. Biases that we have, issues in our life, uh, learning styles, right? I'm completely visual. It's really hard for me to learn in an audio, audible way. And then add to that this public discourse that's going on in our world right now. I don't even know if you can call it a discourse. There's no listening. It's at an all-time low. I mean the kind of listening that leads to comprehension, that leads to compassion, that leads to cooperation. It's, it's, it's pretty rare. I mean, instead, we're being taught to agree with declarations and statements without any comprehension. We're, asked, we're being asked to align with people and policies that have not been vetted. And worst of all, we're being taught to reject or cancel anyone who attempts to listen to an opposing view. It's literally like the world saying, don't listen to anybody. Just stand your ground and say what you want. The, the prevailing conversations in our culture are increasingly defined by those who are covering their ears and shouting their points of view. It's like a bunch of three-year-olds. Not listening is not God's way. None of that kind of stuff is, is the Christian way of living. God invites questions. He invites honesty. He invites disagreement. He invites concerns. He encourages listening and, and deep considerations. Jesus nor his disciples called anyone to blind acceptance of the truth. He said, seek it. Seek me. Lean in. Ask questions. Listen. Then you will find. Jesus himself, who was equal to God, think about this, held immeasurable power, was always right, instead took the way of deference and humility, took the way of, of listening. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. It would be completely unjustified, completely justified not to, but he did. He put himself lower Instead of taking a high position, applying his authority, leveraging the all-knowing nature of who he was, he listened for the direction of the Father regularly. And he listened to the needs of others so that he might serve them. You can't serve somebody without listening. 
That's why listening is the second part of the process of loving your neighbor. If you're going to truly love your neighbor, you've got to know your neighbor. You've got to listen. Jesus gives us this demonstration. He says, and he says along the way, you can admit what's true. You can admit what you don't understand, what you're afraid of, and you can still belong. He encouraged them to listen and learn and change. To discover what's actually true about a person. Discover what's actually true about God. Lies never works in God's economy. Falsehood never leads to the right space. Never. He says the truth sets you free. And he says multiple times in the Gospels, it's recorded. Those with ears, let them hear. How many people have ears? Everybody, pretty much. Rarely do I come across a person with no ears. But it's not having the ears that matters. It's do we hear? Do we listen? In the Gospels, Jesus asked many more questions than he did give answers. He was asked almost 200 questions and answered a handful of them. He was not about answering as much as we have recorded, thank God, what he did answer when he answered. He did a lot of listening, pondering. Read the Gospel of John and you'll find your way near the end of chapter one And the very first words that John records of Jesus, do you know what they are? It's a question. And Jesus says, what do you want? He turns to the disciples and he says, what do you want? Can you imagine what that conversation would be like in this room if I just said, hey, we're going to take a moment and I want to hear what you want. (laughs) We'd be here for days. It wasn't a rhetorical question. He got answers to that. What do you want? Jesus is getting to know these people. What do you want? When the Pharisees were getting to the point of inability to do anything but condemn Jesus, one of the Pharisees stood up, Nicodemus. And I believe he was returning to Jesus the same dignity that Jesus gave to him. Nicodemus says to his group of people of which he belonged, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him? We should hear him. We should listen. Let's talk about listening. Let's talk about listening a little bit. What are the problems? What are the issues? How can we do a little bit better? What, what, when we listen, what's the purpose? <laughs> it seems like you shouldn't have to talk about this. What's the purpose for listening? Well, you're trying to get into somebody else's head. They've either had experience or they've seen something or they're describing something or they have an idea and they're trying to break that down as complex as it is, right? Do you have any ideas? Do you have ideas? 
Have you seen beautiful things? You try to turn that into words. You ever try to even just like, like a picture of, of something phenomenal is, doesn't even work. You ever get back from like some, like the Grand Canyon and you're like, look, look, look at the Grand Canyon. People are like, well, that's cool. You know, it's like, no, it's like amazing. You got to, you try to describe it. When you're listening, you're trying to understand what someone is trying to like rebuild for you in words. You're trying to get out of your head and into their head. You're, you're trying to take what amounts to really a lot of unusual noises and turn them into and understand what they mean. That takes a lot of work. It's hard for us to do this because we're mostly concerned about our own ideas. We're thinking about what we're thinking about when we're listening to what they're thinking about. And the Bible says, look, I, I, you should be interested not in you, but in the interests of others. And essentially what we're doing here, when we listen well, think about this. When we listen well, we are giving other people an opportunity to be heard and to be known. When you're listening to someone, you're hearing them and getting to know them. Listening goes beyond words. It gets to hearing feelings and desires and fears and hopes. Let's say someone comes to you and says, I'm, I'm just no longer suited for the job that I have. But because you've listened and heard, you remember when they took that job. And when they took that job, everybody agreed this was the perfect job. It aligns with your gifts and your talents and your passions. And so you might ask again, oh, you're saying, what do you mean it's, you're not suited to it? You realize you might not be understanding what they're saying. So you dig in a little bit deeper and come to find out a longtime associate of theirs has been promoted or is, is moving on for some reason. A teammate of theirs in that job. And when they say that, their countenance drops. And you realize, oh, there's a, there's a feeling associated with this loss. You sound sad. Is that, am I hearing you right? Yeah. Yeah, and you listen a little bit longer and you, you, might, you might even uncover uh, some fears Like this teammate was complimentary to them and the future success in that role is impacted by them being gone. And then the social anxieties associated with a new partner coming in that they might not even get along with. And suddenly you're hearing and knowing why they're saying they're ill-suited for the job. It's not what you would initially think at all. They're sad about loss. Intentionally, patiently listening to someone is a simple way to help someone heal, feel valued, connected, and have hope. Have you ever thought of that when you're standing there listening to maybe someone who's not all that great at talking? It's kind of boring. Doesn't matter. 
If someone is talking to you, you have the opportunity to lead them down a path that is value-giving, dignity-giving, possibly even healing, possibly even hope-giving, doing nothing but listening. I don't know if you've experienced this. I've had some rare opportunities where I've kept my mouth shut and just listened to people and had them feed back to me gratefulness for how helpful it was and how, how inspired they are and, and how hopeful they are now. And I'm thinking, I did nothing but listen. Yeah, something very, very powerful about listening. On the contrary, you want to make someone feel undervalued, rejected, unloved? Just forget their name that they just told you. Forget something deeply meaningful that they've said to you. Look distracted while they're talking. While they're talking, turn to your phone. Turn to someone else. The opposite happens. And you can feel it, right? You can feel how that is devaluing. My brothers, this is James. He's a really practical guy. If you read James, like, man, this guy was very practical. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. It can be stated with practically no qualification that people in general do not know how to listen. They have ears that hear very well, but seldom have we acquired the necessary auditory skills which would allow those ears to be as effectively for what's called listening. There's two big reasons for that, and I'm going to give you some things that you might be able to work out. Here's two big reasons we don't listen well. Number one, we have poor memory. Because if listening is getting to know someone, that's going to take time. If you're hearing someone and knowing someone, it's going to take time. But here's the reality. I mean, tests have been done on this ad nausea. Thousands and thousands of people in different demographics, young, old, business, social settings, Within an hour of having listened to someone, we remember half of what they said. And two months later, it's like 25%. Our memories are really, really poor. We're also prideful. We have poor memory and we have prideful memory. Most of what we hear, most of what we uh, think about is going through a grid of stuff we formerly believe and we're Accepting, accepting it and rejecting it based on what we already know, what we already believe. In fact, most of the decisions and determinations we make in this lifetime are based not on the current reality, which we could get if we listen. It's based on the beliefs of our past. And we tend to think that we're not biased and that what we believe is accurate. That's what we think. What I, what I understand is accurate. We tend to be a little prideful. We tend to have poor memories. But here's some specific listening problems. There's a lot of them. I've, I've boiled it down to six. And basically, you're going to remember one of these two months from now. I'm going to try to make it easier by making them all ease. And if you grab onto one or two, you're going to help yourself. Number one, extra brain space. <laughs> We have too much brain space for listening. The mind can process up to 800 words a minute. Talking is about 125 words a minute. 
That's like four times extra brain space. To stay focused on someone that's going four times slower than what you can understand is pretty hard to do. And our brains go in all sorts of different directions with that space, right? You've been there. They're talking and you're thinking about your schedule. They're talking and you're thinking about an idea that they reminded you of when they were talking. There's so many spaces that our brain goes to. You just have to be aware of the fact that you are primed to be distracted because you're so smart. You have such big brains. <laughs> Number two, emotion. Emotion can stop listening in its tracks, theirs or yours. Someone's really emotional about what they're saying. Sometimes that is completely distracting. We're trying to help them get through the emotion or understand why they're feeling emotion. We almost always personalize it. So now we're emotional. Emotion's fine. Emotions are real. Emotions are good. But if that becomes the priority, dealing with your emotion, rather than listening, you're not going to be listening. I get, I get emotional when facts are wrong. So when someone is telling me something and I'm trying to listen to them and they're telling me why, and I know, right? I know that that's not true. I pretty much stop listening because of the emotion. Someone may be talking to you and you're feeling hurt. What are you going to do? You're going to start dealing with the fact that they hurt you? You're going to flip the table. Hey, now you're going to start listening to me because you hurt my feelings. Are you still trying to get to know this person? Can you set yourself aside? So extra brain space, emotion is going to get in the way. Your ego, waiting to talk, is not listening. Most of us are waiting to talk, waiting for them to stop so you can say what you're thinking. We love our ideas. We love our thoughts way more than anybody else's ideas or thoughts normally. So we just endure theirs waiting for me to say what I want to say because I have a lot to say. Our ego gets in the way. You know, listening is one of the most powerful methods of shifting from loving yourself to loving others. Because that's who you're fighting with. More than anything else, you're able to listen to somebody, you're just fighting through yourself. See, right now I'm having emotion because the AC unit is never supposed to turn on during the service. We pre-cool so that it doesn't turn on. And I'm afraid you won't be listening to me anymore. All right. Uh, the fourth E, Evaluation. This is what we're doing while we're listening. We're evaluating what they're saying. We're judging because they're getting the data wrong or because they're feeling an emotion too strongly. Whatever, we are judging, right? These are all going to get in the way of listening. You've got to set aside and focus your extra brain space. You've got to remember there's going to be emotion involved. Set it aside. Keep hearing. Your ego is going to kick in. You're going to start evaluating, judging. You're going to come up with what I'm calling early solutions. We really want to fix stuff. We're uncomfortable with all this conversation. We're uncomfortable with the emotion that's going on, and we want to fix it. 
right? We want to jump in to that person who says it does, that their job doesn't suit them anymore, and we want to give them a book on how to improve your weaknesses and get them through that, or, or how to find the right job that suits you. We, we, we come to solutions really, really early. And I don't, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say until you've heard somebody between five and 10 times on a thing, have you really heard them? Do you really know what's going wrong? Do you really know them? Are you really in a position to love them? Early solutions. Proverbs 18, 13 says, get this, it's stupid to answer before listening. Don't you love that? It's just dumb. Six, I couldn't find an E word, so I just went with this. Ethos. There's a, there's a lot going on for that person and for you that can really make listening difficult. And there's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Culture, language, differing values, differing beliefs, attitudes, expectations, intentions. You got to remember, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that's making listening really, really hard. So you got extra brain space, emotion, ego, evaluation, early solutions, ethos. Maybe the biggest thing to remember is listening is about the other person. And everything within us is trying to make this about us, about me. You have to fight hard against that. Okay, so here's some techniques. I mentioned this in brief earlier. Kind of my overarching view is someone has, in a sense, deconstructed their idea, their thought, their experience into something that they can parse into words and try to give you. And it is our responsibility to take these building blocks and rebuild what it is they're trying to say, what it is they're trying to describe, what their meaning is. And so you can imagine that's going to take a lot of work to totally rebuild what is in their brain that they're trying to bust through here. So here's some ways you can do it. Here's some things that will break you down in the process. Number one, pray. Just like the acronym says, begin with prayer. Begin with prayer, pray while you're listening, pray after you've listened. Put it before God. Ask for God's insight into this space to set aside your ego, to help you work through your emotions. Pray, pray in advance. Because when you're praying about a person, you're already asking God, who are they? Who are they? Where are they? What is their culture? What, is their, what, are, the, what are their emotions? What have they been through? God can prep you into that conversation. And he can help you through it. And then end with prayer. Again, this may be just a technique that's involved with just being able to remember something. After you've listened, pray about it, and you'll drive some of those facts deeper into your mind, and you'll be able to remember stuff. Pray. Put yourself in their shoes. While you're listening, imagine you're them instead of you. It helps. You're talking to a, a relatively short person it says it was just really, really hard for them after the movie to find the bathroom in the crowd. And someone like me would be like, it's not really a big deal. But if you're short and you're in a crowd, that can, that can feel a lot of different ways. That can be pretty frustrating. I, I can't really understand that unless I imagine myself 
in their shoes at that height. Put yourself in their shoes. What have they been through? What are their experiences? What's happening right now? What's happened in their past? You remember, listening, you're trying to get in their mind. You're trying to get in their heart. You're trying to hear them and know them. So put yourself in their shoes. These are all Ps. Pray. Put yourself in those shoes. Uh, third, uh, punch. Learn to take a punch. Unfortunately, I learned this in my marriage. Very early in our marriage, uh, I realized at some point that Tammy, my wife, was testing me a little bit. Her family was not one that could be trusted with, with intimate details about who we are. And so in the process of talking to me, <laughs> I would get popped emotionally. Like there would be something. It's like, are you going to be able to stand here while I talk? And I used to react to that because it's wrong to punch somebody in the nose, even, even just metaphorically. But here's what I learned. I had a three-punch rule. And a lot of it was just my own insensitivities and immaturities. Really, truly. There was things that she was saying that I felt like she was popping me, and it was just like normal. But my family hardly talked about anything. Right? So I was really sensitive to uh, uh, any sort of... Uh, uh, honesty, honestly, about who I was or how I was interacting. And I would take it, and I, but I realized that she never hits me three times. So I just learned to take two punches. And by the time we got to that, there was a, it was sort of, I, I think she would understand, oh, he is standing, he is staying here. And early on, one punch and I was out. I'd be like, hey, you know, get your together and now come, we'll, get, we'll get back here. And I stood and I learned. And I think that's true. It sort of aligns with the emotional part, right? When you're talking to someone and they trigger something, or they emo something, stay. They, they might be testing, maybe unconsciously, wondering if you're actually trustworthy of what they want to tell you next. So yeah, I practice the three-punch rule. Most people have built some trust after two, two little punches. <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful to you. Patience. Get comfortable with silence. You cannot listen if you can't deal with silence because people have to process their next statement. Remember, they're trying to rebuild something with words. And if you're uncomfortable with silence, what's going to happen? You're going to start talking. And what's it going to be about? You. I almost, I can almost, I can almost say always, but I'm going to say almost always ever get to five. And it's uncomfortable for me. I do not like silence. I do this. I put my hands in my pockets when I'm listening to someone because it reminds me to slow down and to not fix things. Like I literally, when I'm listening to someone, my hands want to come out of my pockets so bad. <laughs> but this is, causes me to stay and to not fix and to wait and I'm shocked. I almost never get to five and they will keep talking and they will keep telling me about themselves and I will hear them better and I will know them better. Provide feedback. You know this. I'm not even going to belabor it. Just go, uh-huh. <laughs> Nod your head. Let them know you're there. And then plan for multiple hearings. I mentioned this before too. It takes a long time to truly hear somebody. Plan for that. Don't expect to resolve this thing after this one conversation. So pray, put yourself in their shoes, take, take a punch, patient, be patient.
provide some feedback, plan for multiple. I'm going to finish with this. Here's what we're saying. Not only, not only does listening lead to learning, it, truly, it leads to loving. Truly listening is a very, very practical way to love others. This is what Ferguson says in, in the book, in the, in the fifth or fourth chapter. He says, this, when the people in our lives feel unheard and unknown, it ultimately leads them feeling unloved. The opposite of that, right, is if you hear someone, you know someone, they feel loved. Dallas Willard said, the first act of love is always the giving of attention. Jesus was on his way to Jericho. A blind guy heard about that, that Jesus was going by and he started shouting for Jesus to pay attention to him. He said, to, to have mercy on me. Son of God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And everybody was trying to get this guy to stop interjecting. Jesus had somewhere to go. But he kept shouting even louder. And Jesus finally said, bring him to me. And similar to what we said about the book of John earlier, do you, remember, do you know what Jesus said? To a guy who was blind. <laughs> There's a blind guy metaphorically staring at you, right? You're just, okay. It's Jesus. Oh, it's Jesus. And Jesus says, what? What do you need? What do you want? <laughs> what? <laughs> Why? Why would he ask that? Why would he say to a blind guy, what do you need? Because Jesus' primary intention wasn't to fix him. It was to know him. He gave him the dignity of explaining what he needed, what he wanted. Maybe he didn't want him. Maybe it was fine being blind. I don't know. And here's the thing. Jesus knew him. <laughs> This is a God. There's nothing unknown about this guy. But he knows how important it is for that person. He knows how important it is for a person to be heard, to be known, to be loved. The most powerful thing that happened in that moment was not that he got his eyes healed. It's that Jesus stopped and said, hey, talk to me. Tell me what's going on. It is that kind of power that you and I have when we listen. When the Bible says, love your neighbor as yourself, you say, listen to your neighbor. When the Bible says, love your enemies, and, and listen to this, I'll put it this way, love those who threaten you. We don't have anybody that's waiting, um, not, not all that often. If you have this, I'd like to hear your life because this is exciting, but not all of us have a person waiting around a corner to take our life. There's a knife or a gun or something involved that you're going to actually die as a result of your enemies. Mostly, we're just threatened, personally threatened, our position, our posture, our popularity, our possessions. We're just threatened by people. They don't make us feel good. God is saying, listen to those who threaten you. Many of you could testify. You could account to this. In the times where you did listen to someone who threatened you, you walked away having no, heard them and knowing them and having a completely different view of who they are. 
The threat may have completely existed inside of you. Listen to those who threaten you. Because by listening to your neighbor and your enemy, you give them the dignity of being known and loved. And God can use that simple action of listening to actually bring healing and hope. God, we've been trying to listen more intently the last 18 months, and I'm sorry that we have not listened better and continue to struggle to listen. But God, we posture ourselves intentionally before you and others to set ourselves aside and hear people, to know people, to love people, to lay down our own lives, our own egos, our own emotions, our own intentions, God, in order to know and hear and truly love. Help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.